This podcast is produced by Castle Point Systems, the compliance, security and discovery solution for all your information in any of your systems. Castle Point asks, what could you do and what could you achieve if you knew what every record in your environment was about, what rules applied to it and whether they were being met? Over the series, I talk with a range of industry, academic and government commentators from Australia and overseas about ways to mitigate risks to data and compliance and to maximise the opportunities that are arising. I interview experts in the records, strategy, discovery, security and audit fields who share their experience and insights in ways we can all apply right now and into the future of our new normal. Hello. Hi again, everybody. Welcome to another one of our expert interview sessions. Today, we are hearing from Peter Bataco, who is a finance director and financial services customer complaint and remediation advisor. Um, just before we jump in, I'd like to do my acknowledgement of country. So I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that I'm on today. In my case, it's the Ngunnawal people and acknowledge um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people around Australia who are participating and acknowledge their elders past present and emerging it is reconciliation week this week and i'd just like to say also that um, this is aboriginal land always was always will be so peter thank you so much for joining us i will jump straight in you've been in finance your whole career can you let me know what drew you to that kind of discipline oh, thanks for having me today uh, rachel to participate in this webinar uh, I'd also like to make an acknowledgement of traditional owners for the Melbourne area where I'm based. Uh, our conference is being held in the lands of the Wurundjeri people, and I wish to acknowledge them as traditional owners. I'd also like to pay my respects to their elders, past and present, uh, and Aboriginal elders of the communities who m may be here today. Uh, yeah, in terms of uh, what brought me into my career and uh, what drew me towards finance, um, I guess while I was at school, I was always very, very uh, interested in mathematics. Uh, and in my last two years, uh, one of the electives was economics. And I had a very inspirational teacher called Vincent Lee, who the day I walked into that classroom, he uh, brought such energy and excitement to what economics was about that, uh, you know, he, I, I guess I realised that my career was probably going to follow uh, an economics and finance uh, based path. Uh, he always said uh, economics was about uh, people and their behaviours and the allocation of scarce resources. And uh, he was so exciting that he inspired me to move in that area. So I went on to uh, study a Bachelor of Economics um, at Monash University, uh, having then gone into a major while I was there in accounting and, and economics. And while I was at university, there was a large presence of the big six firms on campus uh, recruiting, now the big four, obviously, and I was uh, quite interested to take up an opportunity with Ernst & Young. I did vacation employment with them and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I worked in their audit, corporate services and business advisory division and specialised in their finance, financial services sector. Uh, and I joined them as a graduate and became a chartered accountant uh, within that space. And major clients uh, at the time that I was dealing with were in the banking sector, uh, wealth management, funds management, and general insurance. In uh, 1997, I decided to move to uh, the larger financial markets in the UK, 
uh, to sort of broaden my experience. And I worked across a number of wealth managers with a finance hat on uh, in, in financial advisory and business advisory. Uh, I worked for Gartmore Investment Managers, uh, Schroeder's Investment Management, HSBC Asset Management over the years, and then Merrill Lynch Investment Managers, which was purchased by BlackRock. And also following on from that, I managed to have a, an opportunity having sort of got a really good understanding of products and services within retail banking, uh, commercial and business banking, uh, alongside wealth management that I've already had a lot of experience in and uh, branching into investment uh, and investment banking. Uh, I, I worked on some really large scale programs uh, to deliver technology operational change uh, across those, those organisations. And one of them was ABN AMRO for a number of years. Uh, and I was always involved um, it, from inception to closure on those programs. And the ABN AMRO program was a global uh, equities order and trading system implementation. Uh, so I was very much finance uh, lead or embedded CFO in those roles, as well as being very much part of the operational leadership team for delivery. Uh, that then progressed to a, a very large program for, for six years uh, while I was at Barclays Bank, uh, rolling out their global infrastructure upgrade. And at the end of that period, uh, I was um, headhunted basically from a colleague at, at Barclays to come across to RBS into a, what was relatively unknown, a new area, which was remediation activities post the global financial crisis. And I worked for the last nearly seven years at Royal Bank of Scotland. Wow, that's a long and storied career. So can you tell us a bit more about what you're doing right now on the remediation front? Uh, yes, well, um, basically, because of my experience in remediation at the Royal Bank of Scotland over seven years and seeing a, a, a number of large programs that uh, had to be delivered in that space post the global financial crisis, uh, I was very interested in the uh, Banking Royal Commission that took place here largely through 2018 uh, in Australia uh, into the misconduct and, um, uh, I guess, potential mis-selling uh, within the financial services industry and, and also that there were 76 recommendations that came out of the Hain report in relation to that uh, that, that I thought I could bring advisory skills within remediation that, that I'd been exposed to uh, for a number of years to Australia. Um, I guess for the listeners, remediation traditionally covers a number of areas, uh, structural change and cultural change, uh, process and policy changes and, and an operational process change off the back of that, uh, including infrastructure investment to, to align the, the organisation uh, to, to the correct uh, way of um, delivering their products and services. Uh, and I guess ceasing activities giving rise to remediation scenarios. Uh, the focus in the UK in particular, however, was compensation or what we call redress of deemed legacy misconduct. And I've set up two companies here um, called Resolve Evolve Consulting and Resolve Evolve Technology. And I've got a small team of advisors that have had all this experience in the UK that we've brought to Australia and we we're advising in the remediation operational execution space. And we're also developing um, technology software application tools to support that delivery, where we felt that some of the tools we used in the past weren't fit for purpose out of the box and required a lot of configuration. 
uh, which which had a real cost and time impact of delivery. So we yeah. we've tailored those to specific needs of the uh, remediation piece. Okay, I'd like to come back to talk to you a little bit more about emerging technology um, that has a role in this space. But um, can you tell us just quickly, you know, when we're talking about misconduct and remediation and compensation, what's the most important thing to get right with data, you know, with information when you're doing this kind of work? So as I mentioned previously, um, in the UK market, um, you know, a lot of the reviews we did around remediation were very historic and very forensic. And they went back many, many years. Uh, and there was always a customer potentially waiting for an outcome to an event where they'd suffered some detriment. So data is very, very important to, to undertaking reviews to determine, uh, you know, any um, compensation that might be due to customers. And that was particularly our focus at that time. Uh, there are two types of reviews. There's probably what we'd call a write and pay type review, where uh, it's relatively straightforward in the sense that systems data already exists within organisations. Uh, they hold that data and just have to scour through the systems to, to gather it and then basically make an assessment of what needs to be uh, re redressed or compensated to the customer. The more difficult pieces that we encountered were around detailed assessment of a customer journey over many, many years that involved a number of um, artifacts and data that needed to be gathered in order sort of to bring together a complete file to make an informed decision. So that we came at the end of that process with consistent decisions that were fair and balanced customer outcome decisions. Yeah. Uh, as you know, <laughs> a lot of organisations have numerous legacy systems in some cases, they're uh, not as well supported uh, years later as they were in, at the inception. Uh, and um, various decommission systems as well. And, and banks and financial institutions need to know pretty much nowadays all of the data that they hold on customers. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. Because it, it tells a story. And I think um, records managers have understood for a long time the importance of telling a story across time. Um, and I think now other areas like finance are starting to, to get an idea of that too, that we need to understand the whole journey, you know, the history, and that history will be spread across many different systems. Um, I'm just going to launch a poll for our participants at the moment um, about banking remediation. I wonder if, and I will just start this poll now, <clears throat> I wonder if anyone um, who's attending today was affected by the fee-for-no service or the other issues that were raised in the Royal Commission. I know that, that we certainly were. Um, and then in a broader question, um, I'd just like to ask you all, do you trust your bank with managing your information? I can already see no. <laughs> No, not completely. No. Um, so I think we'll, I'll just let that poll run for a minute um, and then we'll show the results in a moment. But Peter, can you tell us, you know, how do you think Australia is tracking on the banking remediation front compared to other countries that you've worked with? Well, UK largely completed large-scale legacy remediation since the global financial crisis pretty much over 10 years ago now. <clears throat> There'll always be remediation issues uh, because that's much easier to do with a 2020 lens. But I think there's been significant development in the space uh, in the UK. My feeling is that Australia is probably five years behind in terms of that journey. 
there's certainly a lot of activity going on in Australia and has been post the Banking Royal Commission. Um, but, uh, you know, there's still in, at, the, at the outset in some of this work. Uh, enforceable undertakings are something that happened in the UK, which was a case of agreeing with the financial regulator uh, a certain uh, process that was going to be implemented and a certain methodology in terms of re redressing or compensating customers and all of the other elements are talked about within remediation in terms of change structurally and, uh, and culturally. Uh, and I think ASIC and AFCA may still bring in, in, in these requirements based on legacy complaints they're receiving uh, dating back now until the 1st of January 2008. So that's a fairly historic uh, piece. Yeah, okay. Um, I'll just share these results of the poll. Stand by for one second. So what we can see here is that, um, which is probably not unsurprising, a lot of people just aren't really sure if they were affected by the issues that were raised. We certainly received some letters to say, oh, you know, mea culpa, uh, we charge you for stuff we shouldn't and we've given you a refund, that's good. But I don't think there was very much um, transparency to the consumer really about what the effects were. I think we can see that here. And maybe that leads into the issue of people not trusting those banks. No one has said that they do trust the banks with managing their information, which is, um, does that surprise you, Peter? Well, we were, there was a bit of a perfect storm in the UK, for example, um, after the global financial crisis, which led to the sort of work we were doing around compensation for customers. Uh, in the lead up to the GFC, I think there was a, starting to be a, a lack of confidence and sort of questionable uh, activities going on within the sector. And, uh, you know, there was a shift away from customers who are the very fabric of your organisation and possibly more towards shareholder value and, and in some cases, individual employee benefit in terms of the big banker bonuses that were spread, uh, headlines that were spread across uh, the, the media in the UK. So I think there was a balance problem there and that was acknowledged by the regulator. Um, you know, in, and you've got to remember in the UK, banks failed off the back of uh, the global financial crisis, as did many small businesses. So uh, I think the regulators saw a timely opportunity to address the industry at that point um, and the behaviours and to compensate customers. And that's what our focus really, really was. Um, you know, the Australian market um, very much uh, has issues that were raised well before the Banking Royal Commission. And so those issues won't go away. But I know from talking to banking leadership that Australian finance, financial institutions have certainly responded very well to, to the request. What I would say uh, when it comes to sort of enforceable undertakings, which hasn't really been experienced here, is wealth management super funds, their requirements in terms of remediation were fairly well scripted around fees for no services, as you highlighted, and, and quality of advice reviews. But I think when it comes to core banking and other areas in, in insurance, I think that's been a much looser mandate of sort of go fix it. And that's much harder to, uh, to, to navigate as to whether or not you're doing enough in that space. So right. I'm not surprised given the journey we experienced in the UK. Okay, so the GFC obviously was one crisis that had a sort of seismic effect on, on banking and um, led to or exacerbated these issues. What kind of impact do you think the current crisis, the, the coronavirus pandemic, has had on the bank remediation process? 
Well, there were 76 recommendations made by the Banking Royal Commission and the government's given full commitment to deliver on all of those recommendations. Uh, we would have seen in the press recently that uh, there was a governor, government announcement um, to extend those delivery requirements of financial services institutions uh, by six months. So, so that has given, them, given um, banks and, and financial institutions more time to... to uh, to address those issues, uh, but it certainly hasn't stopped. It's very much ongoing from discussions I've been having, and you know, and, and it should be front and centre because this is a great opportunity to address those issues now in the markets and and in that industry. Um, and in fact, what's what's really interesting about the COVID nineteen pandemic uh, scenario over the last few months that we've experienced here in Australia is feedback I've been given from banking leadership is that productivity from their people working from home and in isolation uh, has actually increased significantly. Yeah, and that um, that's been a surprise to everyone. I think that productivity can actually be higher when people are working from home. It certainly shouldn't be a surprise. Um, when you take away commuting and the stress of, of all of those kind of things. But um, I think it, it might be kind of a new way that we work. I mean, do you see that on the horizon? You know, what, what do you see as, as being the new future for, for banking and bankers and the remediation process as we sort of get back to normal now? Well, certainly having worked in the UK and, and being an embedded CFO in a number of roles, we, we always got our eyes on cost. And, uh, you know, it, it, property costs and, and housing people, um, you know, is, is always been a focus. And, and a lot of the large banks in the UK that I work for are always looking to, to expand um, their workforce to deliver, you know, great customer quality uh, products and services. Uh, but, you know, that came at a cost of housing a number of people. And, and we worked remotely quite often in the UK. And we found that with modern technology and tools, it was very effective. Uh, and and um, I guess I, I always felt personally that if you could reduce commuting times and give a bit more time back to the balance of life balance of families and, and, and uh, of the working people, um, I, I, think, I think that gives them more time to be fresh and focused for working. So working remotely, while I think it's important to have the interaction face-to-face, -face, absolutely, um, you can do a lot of it through technology. And it's not, so I'm not surprised that that's been effective. Yeah. That's good. And do you think that um, the banking industry is open to the um, the sort of the audit and security concerns and challenges that come with a decentralised workforce? Oh, absolutely. I think technology has changed significantly now. Um, a, a lot of data and, and confidential information uh, is stored in, in, in cloud with um, Amazon Web Services. Uh, the, you know, there's a psychological uh, mindset around where, those, where, where systems and databases need to be housed, whether they be on site within the premises, whether, whether they be in the client site or housed in the cloud. But in actual reality, I think security is fairly strong across both areas these days. Banks are very cognizant of security and sort of data leakage. Uh, and, and, and certainly I think um, that's more of a psychological mindset. Okay. So beyond the technology that the banks use themselves for their own operations, what role do you think that kind of new and emerging information management technology has to play in the kind of work that you do? Well, as I alluded to earlier, um, there, there are three major types of data that are generated from remediation programs uh, or, 
or, or not generate a better, better involved in, in, in conducting them. Uh, the first one is um, what I would call data and discovery. Uh, and that's getting all of the relevant documents that you need to, uh, to be able to sort of conduct the review. And that's going, as I said earlier, across all your legacy systems, any decommissioned systems to gather all that data. Uh, you know, this, they, they support the review so that we have completeness in what we're looking at to make an informed decision for the, for the benefit of the customer uh, and that it's fair and balanced. Uh, that sort of data and discovery is structured and unstructured data. It's things like uh, transaction history, customer records, uh, systems and back office systems data, uh, relationship manager and customer interaction emails, um, voice recordings, uh, paper files, which we found a significant challenge to gather because if we're going back many years in, in legacy reviews, quite often the systems didn't store that information. And in cases in the UK, we had to go to remote branch offices to gather that and, and, and rifle through boxes to gather that, 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 those paper files and artifacts. Um, so contracts and also secured store data um, from organisations, for example, like Iron Mountain. Uh, the other set of data is basically the data that's generated uh, from the review, um, the workings and reference documents that enable a, a determination of a consistent customer outcome decision, um, and every, everything captured while we undertake the reviews. And there'll be things that won't be exhaustive, but it'll be it'll be customer liaison emails and calls, it'll be customer letters, case review notes, outcome decision notes and minutes. Um, compensation calculations, just to name a few things. Uh, and then most importantly, we found with technology was MI and reporting that came off um, <clears throat> our reviews. Uh, and if you consider it like, a, 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 I guess, a, a factory process, it's the population status data. So things like where do things start in the factory and end in a day, so the output, um, and where everything is in the production process at a point in time. But what was really interesting was the performance and production descriptive data and how we use that to successfully deliver those programs. Uh, and that tells you a lot more about your factory. Uh, you know, what, um, what, what time does it take to perform a task? Uh, how often is something reworked or rejected? Um, how long does something sit in a certain stage? And, 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 and understanding that descriptive data allows um, a bank or financial institution in, in delivering this to manage expectations of regulators, customers, um, enables them to forecast and plan accordingly, and also to just really understand the way their factory is truly operating. And I'd say finally, data is quite crucial for uh, population definition. So in terms of gathering all of your data across your systems, it's really important you know who's in scope of the review, um, what products are in scope, and, and who's eligible. To, to be reviewed. Uh, but yeah, and I guess just, just finally, we had, we had three key priorities uh, in order at RBS. They were quality of review, pace of review, and cost. And, and I guess when you've got all of that data and you've been able to successfully gather it, you achieve all of those objectives of a quality review um, pace of review is important for customers who've been waiting for some time and have certainly running your operations efficiently from a cost perspective as well. Right. They, they used to say that, um, you know, to build an aeroplane, the process of building a plane generated more paper 
than the airplane itself weighed, I think. Like it's to, to do a big undertaking like this, any kind of reform or a big project generates huge amounts of data. And as you've said, it's not just data, uh, it's not just the audit data that you're looking at, as in the legacy data that you're interpreting to help make decisions. It's not just the reports that you're generating as an output of that, um, that add up to weigh as much as an aeroplane. It's all that time and motion study as well. You know, when you're looking at how processes work, how people work, how long things take, where the bottlenecks are, all of that data is so crucial to, to designing a better outcome for your organization but traditionally um, it's been very hard to access that kind of data hasn't it you know it's easy to get copies of documents it's easy to write a report and file it but it's very hard to find and access information across all those systems and as you said before banks have a lot of legacy systems hundreds or even thousands of different data sets and I guess you run the risk when you're doing a remediation activity and a business process re-engineering activity of only addressing the data that's most accessible and designing your future based on just that subset and not really getting the full picture. So do you think that, um, you know, the, the machine learning, artificial intelligence, these new technologies are really key in getting across all of those different types of data in all of those systems and dealing with them that huge quantum in a way that can be interpreted by people? Absolutely. Uh, look, what we call information collection, um, gathering all of that key data to, to undertake the reviews was, was, was a challenge. It was, it was time consuming. And so again, with a customer in mind where they may be waiting for some compensation, uh, you know, the, the time it takes to undertake these reviews is not just doing the review itself, it's getting that information. So data and discovery tools, uh, much like what, what you do at Castle Point, really important to understand where all the data is and linking even disparate data. Um, almost creating an ontology uh, of the data, so knowing everything about that data. Uh, using other sort of tools like op optical character recognition and natural langu language recognition. That allows you to scan documents, as you know, to, to see what content is, is in these documents, uh, to see what's relevant for the review and to pull out the key the key artefacts that support your ability to make those assessments. Uh, and, and I guess applying rules to data as well and understanding how to control data, maybe from a retention disposal perspective. But there are other tools that we look at and that we have used successfully, uh, case management software applications and uh, BPM um, workflow software applications that allow you to organise your, your production line, if you like, um, to deliver an efficient review. Um, case management in particular allows you to, to create a centralised case of information. Uh, it, it, it not only supports the review, but it, it gives you an audit trail. And then BPM workflow allows you to organise what is fairly consistent tasks uh, for, for up to thousands of users that we had at times on these programs um, to undertake their, their reviews consistently and with quality. Uh, the last bit to your point was gathering all of this data, what we'd call primary data and metadata, the data about data. Um, there, there are also data visualisation tools that are really, really good at understanding that, that time and motion type process around delivering these, these uh, undertakings. And machine learning certainly in um, uh, more consistent and predictable uh, reviews 
uh, can certainly be implemented and artificial intelligence perhaps further in the future as it develops. Sure. So what would be your kind of key takeaways to end on about, about what banks should be doing right now and what you think they should be doing next? You know, uh, are they using information technology to the best of their ability? Should things be changing in the way that banks and finance use IT? What do you think is the way forward? I certainly think banks and financial institutions are striving to use technology and advancements to position themselves very well in supporting their customers' needs. That, that is a high priority. And, and they're protecting customer data and personal information um, all the time. And we talked about security earlier in the call. Um, and, and they want to remain competitive. So, so that is always a focus um, of the organisations I've been in. Um, but there's always room for improvement. We're always learning as the technology develops. But the, we, we all know that the key focus is in terms of technology now uh, around the regulatory requirements, uh, records management, retention, and disposal. Uh, in, the, in the EU, we had uh, general data protection regulations, um, anti-money money laundering regulations, particularly around sanctions, uh, KYC, which I think is really important, knowing your customer. So subject uh, um, access requests where customers can uh, request all information that an organisation holds on them. Um, understanding whether your customers are vulnerable, financially distressed. So all of those things are important. Of course, we've got big issues with cybercrime. Mm. Um, but I, I think at the moment, um, banks are certainly taking remediation seriously in Australia. There's a lot of... Uh, um, issues um, that they're dealing with and, um, and they're pushing forward with them. Um, but, but we know that the requirements of the Banking Royal Commission won't go away. These, these are long-term issues and it's good to see that we're moving forward in the right direction. And I think now's a great opportunity uh, if there were to be systemic reviews down the track, which tends to be very, very large operational undertakings and, and enforceable undertakings, that banks can get themselves organised using technology using the tools we talked about around BPM, case management, data and discovery, to be in a really good position to execute those larger reviews should they come. That's great. Very heartening note to end on. And maybe next time we run a poll like this, people will start saying they have a little bit more trust. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. I've posted a link in the chat if people would like to continue the conversation with you in the LinkedIn group. So head on over there and join us. And Peter, once again, thanks for joining. Thank you, Rachel. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about Castle Point Systems, please go to our website at www.castlepoint.systems to get in touch. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn, where you can engage with us and all of our